You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Vancouver police have arrested a suspect in a series of unprovoked attacks that rocked the Fairview neighborhood last week. The suspect is a young man who now faces a number of charges. He came to police attention after he broke into a home and the owner identified him. Catherine Urquhart has the story. He remains behind bars for now, accused of four violent attacks in Vancouver in recent days. Police say they arrested 21-year-old Martin Lamb August 20th after a 54-year-old woman was viciously attacked inside her home in the Riley Park neighborhood. A woman had been attacked inside her home um, and quite viciously assaulted. She suffered very serious um, injuries that required uh, hospitalization. Soon after, VPD officers arrested the suspect who was known to the victim. Then police linked the suspect to three stranger assaults that took place on the 18th. A seven-year-old man was tackled from behind, then punched and kicked under the Camby Street Bridge. A 33-year-old woman was kicked and punched in the face near West 11th and Spruce. And a 23-year-old woman was stabbed near West Broadway and Alder. I think it's really scary. I mean, I've, I've lived here most of my life and felt quite safe, even, you know, in my, in my 20s, living on my own. And now I'm kind of freaked out to go at night. Police aren't saying exactly how they linked the cases, but acknowledge they're now reviewing some of their unsolved crimes. We'll uh, take a look now that we have additional information, um, look at other unsolved cases in the area, in the city, liaise with other agencies, partner agencies, uh, to assess whether or not there are other linkages between uh, these incidents and, and any of the other incidents that have happened in Vancouver. Martin Lamb is charged with two counts of assault, two counts of aggravated assault and one count of break and enter. He is due to make a court appearance Friday morning. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Now a Global News exclusive. New details about the identity of the man who was living with the remains of two dead females in his SRO unit for months, including those of Noel Osoup, before his own sudden death in February. At the time of his death, Van Chung Pham was wanted on a Canada-wide warrant for drugging and sexually assaulting another woman. And as Sarah McDonald reports tonight, yet another young woman was found alive inside Pham's unit when he was found dead. We now know this Vancouver SRO unit, where the decomposing remains of Noello Soup and another woman were discovered, was occupied by Van Chung Pham, an accused rapist charged with drugging and sexually assaulting another woman in 2020 and wanted on a Canada-wide warrant when he was discovered dead himself. There was a Canada-wide warrant that was issued as a result of the Vancouver Police investigation. The person who was subject of that warrant, the person that we believe committed these offences, uh, has since died. Global News can also now report another young woman was found alive and living inside Pham's unit when officers discovered him dead on February 23rd. She had dark hair, short dark hair, um, always had her head down, came out, sat out here, uh, and then 
never heard anything until three months later. We now know Pham, in his mid-40s, was the subject of an extensive police investigation in the months before his death, during which time Noello Soup and a woman in her 30s, Elma Anan, somehow wound up dead inside his unit too. Vancouver police finally speaking publicly on Pham and the charges against him on Thursday. A man named Van Chung Pham um, was the subject of a Vancouver police investigation that started in November 2020 and resulted in a number of charges being laid. The BC Prosecution Service confirming that, telling Global News Provincial Crown Council approved four counts against Van Chung Pham, dating from an incident on November 19th, 2020, of sexual assault, administering a drug or a stupefying agent, trafficking cocaine and trafficking heroin, adding the information was abated by the Crown based on reliable information that the accused has died on March 1st. One week after Pham was found dead and weeks, if not months, after the deaths of Osoup and Anan. Their bodies only discovered months later on May 1st. One of them inside a recycling bin. I've seen the man at the door and they've gone in with him. What their dealings were, I don't know. To Chris Sears, who lived directly across from Pham's unit and lived with its overwhelming foul stench for months. Confirmation Pham had allegedly administered a stupefying agent to sexually assault a vulnerable victim only confirmed his long-held suspicions. I never had the smell of death, like, be verified to me until that door was opened and they pulled it out and said, oh my God, how long has he been in here for? You got to get out of here, girl. Um, and then they took her out. Neighbors say officers visited Pham's suite multiple times in the days before his body was discovered, but they never gained entry. Pham's death is not considered suspicious, but those of Osoup and Anan, who's related to a Vancouver police officer, are. So with all three deceased and a major crimes investigation still open, the question is, are there other suspects? The investigation is ongoing. The investigation is ongoing. Um, there's more work to do. I went through Picton and I watched all my friends go missing. A scenario haunting residents like Candace Norris, who says she met Osoup several times while she was still alive. And at just 13, only a few years older than her own daughter. You know, I seen that little girl in my building, you know? It breaks my heart that the indigenous community is screaming for help and we're still being murdered and raped and going missing. A cycle of systemic failure and oversight and the tragic fallout we've all seen before. Sarah McDonald, Global News. And we have yet another example tonight of how the justice system appears to be failing to properly handle chronic offenders and putting public safety at risk. A man who was arrested after threatening a fast food worker is charged now with two more alleged attacks. Ramina Dea has the story. She was just doing her job when a stranger walked into this downtown Vancouver pizza shop and threatened to stab her after she refused to hand over a free pizza. I have a knife. I kill you. 31-year-old Juan Serna was arrested, charged, then released by the court after pleading guilty earlier this month. Now he's been arrested again, allegedly for assaulting another stranger in and out of jail, four random violent incidents at public locations in two months, say Vancouver police. 
So in this case, where we've arrested and rearrested the same person now four times this summer alone, uh, we will continue to do that. We're continuing to do our job to apprehend offenders. But ultimately, it's up to the, the judicial system, the court system, to decide whether or not somebody's held in custody or whether or not somebody gets released. Pressure mounting from police, residents, businesses, and mayors from across BC who are anxiously awaiting government recommendations on how to deal with repeat offenders, like 45-year-old Justin Wayne Collins, who has just been arrested again in Kelowna. 423 police files, 64 charges and counting. Here we are eagerly uh, awaiting those recommendations, but I can tell you frustration is waning in all of our communities. Enough is enough. We need those recommendations and we need them now. The new Attorney General, Murray Rankin, finally answering questions on camera after we were told twice this week he was unavailable. The government now saying the experts conducting the prolific offender review need more time. We need to address this, and we understand that it, that's, it will require significant root and branch work to achieve. And I'm looking forward to the Lepard Butler report to see if there's new ideas that we can tackle all of the governments needed to, to tackle together in order to address this. The minister says recommendations are expected to be released mid-September, bolstering supports for Crown Council and mandating treatment for prolific offenders are being considered. Romina Dea, Global News. A judge has ruled police can keep evidence collected after the crane collapse last year in downtown Kelowna. That collapse killed five people on July 12, 2021, and is the subject of multiple ongoing investigations, including a criminal investigation launched by the RCMP that day. RCMP collected 112 pieces of evidence, including three laptops, but had to apply to keep them past the one-year mark. Stemmer Construction, the company responsible for dismantling the crane, was opposed, arguing searching the data on the laptops violates privacy rights. The judge decided that issue should be dealt with in a separate court application. Well, with an enthusiastic jump and a yell, Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum is launching his campaign for re-election. His Surrey First Coalition unveiled the platform today. Aaron MacArthur has the details, including more on his promise to build a 60,000-seat sports facility. Another four years. <laughs> Doug McCallum is ready. Announcing a full slate of candidates for this fall's election, the Safe Surrey Coalition team rebuilt after a series of defections during the previous term in office. And we hope that the people of Surrey will support us. Safe Surrey's election platform is full of what you might expect. Plans for housing, punching through a new SkyTrain line to Newton, and promises of new infrastructure spending. But Doug McCallum doubled down on an idea he seemingly pulled from thin air Wednesday, giving more details about his proposed 60,000-seat stadium, including a possible location near the Fleetwood Community Centre. We're a big city now, very big city. We're the 10th largest in Canada. We're growing. We're soon will be bigger than Vancouver in a number of years. The only stadium comparable in this province to what McCallum is proposing is BC Place, a facility that cost the equivalent of nearly $300 million to build in the 1980s. Renovation to replace the roof set taxpayers back another half billion dollars. The stadium averages about 200 days a year of use and still operates millions of dollars in the red. Those running against the incumbent mayor quick to dismiss the stadium plan. 
talking probably over a billion dollars. And that's uh, if we've got a billion dollars out there, that certainly wouldn't be the first priority that I would have. And without having commitment from the province and the federal government, it's just talk. Doug McCallum has a history of grand announcements. In 2019, he promised a new outdoor track and field facility in Bear Creek Park with the possibility of 12,000 seats. That number was quickly amended downwards to 2,000. And that same year, he also floated the idea of a grand canal for people to use. It's just bringing and throwing anything on the wall to distract people, so take their attention away from his failures over the last four years. The election, October 15th, Doug McCallum's public mischief trial begins October 31st. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Here's a look at our weekly COVID-19 numbers. There are 331 people in hospital right now. That's down 35, but 29 of those patients are in the ICU, an increase of seven. 33 more people have died from complications of the virus in the past week, and there are 737 new confirmed cases in the same time period. Keith Baldry joins us now live with more on the pandemic and Keith back to school obviously is right around mm -hmm. the corner. What do parents need to know? Yeah, a lot of questions about what the rules are going to be. And basically today, the BC Center for Disease Control released the public health uh, guidelines and rules for communicable diseases in the K-12 system. And what do you know? They're basically the same ones that were in place when the school year ended in June. So a bit of a refresher course. Mask wearing remains a personal choice. There's no requirement to wear masks in schools. It's up to students and staff to decide whether they want to or not. Schools are going to be encouraged to promote vaccines for kids. We have a low vaccination rate for kids age 5 to 11. Again, a reminder, stay home if you're sick. And also schools are required to clean frequently touched surfaces at least once a day. And finally, everyone in the school, staff and students included, should, are encouraged to practice diligent hand hygiene. So again, the emphasis is on personal choice here, but also cleanliness and ventilation. Basically the same rules in place as we saw in June. They can change through the course of the school year, but right now we're going to begin the school year as we ended it in June when it comes to those public health guidelines. Right. Well, at least it's going to be familiar to a lot of folks. Thanks very much, yeah. Keith. The bank comes calling as interest rates rise. What Canada's largest bank just did to clients with variable rates and how it leaves a lot of customers feeling triggered with pressure to pay. That's next on the News Hour. The urge to travel, why experts say if you hold off, the bargains will likely be better in the fall. Coming up, plus what the BC SPCA is doing with 99 rescued budgies. That's later as well, but. Now, the news tonight that rising interest rates could soon set off a financial bomb for tens of thousands of Canadian homeowners who have a fixed payment variable rate mortgage. According to one major bank, interest rate hikes are bringing them closer to the trigger point of their mortgage. And here's how it works. Mortgage payments are, of course, a combination of paying down the principal amount plus the interest. But when interest rates increase to the point, the mortgage payment no longer covers the interest being charged. That interest is deferred and added to the principal balance. When that outstanding principal balance, including the deferred interest, grows to the point where it exceeds the original principal amount, the amount that was originally borrowed, that is the trigger point. As the Bank of Canada continues to hike interest rates, it'll now likely mean higher monthly payments for variable rate mortgage holders by year's end. Certainly it's unique. It's very unique. 
RBC estimates roughly 80,000 variable mortgages will hit what's called a trigger rate after, quote, the next couple of rate hikes by the Bank of Canada. Of those variable mortgages, they say it'll mean an average increase of $200 per month. The trigger rate is when you're not making the minimum required principal payment towards your mortgage. So it's a protection strategy that the Canadian banks have in place. The best way to calculate your trigger rate is by multiplying your monthly payment by the number of payments per year and then dividing it by the outstanding mortgage balance. For example, if your mortgage balance is $500,000 and you pay $2,200 per month, multiply it by 12 months and then divide that by the amount owed. In this case, it's $500,000. Your trigger rate would be 5.28%. If the Bank of Canada's interest rate goes above that, your lender can now adjust your payment amount even though it's normally fixed. So this trigger rate ensures that the amortization doesn't go beyond the original amortization within the criteria in which they got the mortgage. At that point, advisors will offer one of three options. One, increase your monthly payments. Two, switch to a fixed rate mortgage. Or three, pay a lump sum. There's certainly going to be some level of pain in the marketplace. And there will be a small, small subset of people that perhaps ha fell across hard times, lost their job, were relying on this payment, and they could be in a difficult spot. Mortgage brokers add every homeowner with a variable rate mortgage will have a different trigger rate. So for a more accurate number, it's recommended you call your mortgage lender. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Just ahead, better medicine. That will relieve some stress, if not a lot. How pharmacists say they can simplify the prescription process if only the province would let them. Also tonight, Sean may be gone, but his gift lives on. Why this young cancer patient will never be forgotten. It's busy commute at the Lionsgate Bridge. Only one lane is getting by in each direction because of a crash southbound mid-span on the bridge check. Crews have been here for a while dealing with it, but it's caused major dis delays. Westbound Georgia is slow from Seymour and on the North Shore Marine Drive is back up onto Taylorway and to Capilano back up to Highway 1. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. In Global One, above the Lionsgate Bridge, I'm Amber Belzer. The BC Pharmacy Association is urging the province to give it more power and allow pharmacists to prescribe medications. This would be for minor ailments and refills. And as Richard Zussman reports, pharmacists say it would help ease the pressure on family doctors. Easing the pressure on the family care system with a click of a button. That will relieve some stress, if not a lot, right? You know, family doctors are, are over capacity. Um, and for us as pharmacists, we know the medical history of a patient. Pharmacists across BC calling on the province to give them powers to prescribe certain medications as a potential way to address a primary health care crisis, leaving nearly one million British Columbians without a family doctor. It'll definitely, you know, give the doctors more time um, for more pressing matters, um, such as following up on, you know, lab results from the hospital when the patient gets admitted to the ER. 
An Alberta pharmacist currently prescribed medication for cold sores and urinary tract infections. Similar changes are coming to Ontario. BC pharmacists have no prescribing powers but can do some renewals. The government is considering the change. We're going to continue to work on uh, team-based care and building out team-based care and making sure everyone works to the full uh, extent of their abilities. On Wednesday, Health Minister Adrian Dix announced more than $100 million in short-term funding to help family doctors cover overhead costs. By the new year, family doctors will have a new payment model, leading the doctors of BC to question the necessity of changing powers for pharmacies. Prescribing and giving other options at this time is not the way to do things. We have a crumbling foundation of our primary care system, and that is what we need to support. But some family doctors see a shift in prescription powers as part of the solution, freeing them up to do more complex work. Prescriptions expire after six months uh, sitting at a pharmacy. And so if someone shows up six months in one day, right now the pharmacist needs to go back to the physician and get permission. And that is something that I think that we could be taking a look at. As the province measures out possible solutions, doctors are expressing some caution. There will need to be significant training before pharmacists take on this potential big shift. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Ambulance shortages are hitting home in BC's southern interior with some patients waiting a half hour or longer for help to arrive. The paramedics union says there might be as few as three ambulances covering an area from Penticton all the way to the U.S. border. That's half what there would normally be. Fire departments are filling in the gaps where they can, offering first aid to injured people. But even firefighters sometimes have to wait for the ambulance to arrive. Um, our call volume has increased. Um, it has increased year over year. But um, what we're seeing this year is uh, more of an increase in uh, calls that we wouldn't necessarily normally go to. Um, we're getting calls for where BC ambulance is delayed, and we're seeing more of an increase in those types of calls. So there's still urgent calls, there's still you know, high-priority calls, but they're not the typical call that we would go to. In Peachland, the fire service is limiting the number of personnel who respond to medical calls. The chief says more staff is only one part of this solution, along with looking at how calls are triaged and deciding who needs to be transported by ambulance. A volunteer organization in the Shushwap that has been filling a health care gap has had to scale back its services, and it's desperately looking for more volunteers. For more than two decades, the South Shushwap first responders have been augmenting professional paramedics being dispatched to emergencies to emergency scenes before paramedics can arrive. The volunteers, who are all trained, do basic tasks like triage and administering oxygen. Their services are particularly critical in an area without its own ambulance station. But with only eight current volunteers, the group has had to scale back its services. I don't feel we're servicing the community the way we could because we don't have the people. I've been doing this 20 years now and it's really hard to see things going down the way they have and to see the, the difference in what the word um, volunteerism means to the different age groups. A training session is planned for September, but it's only partially full. They are urgently appealing to the community for new volunteers who are over 18 and live in the Shushwap area. Just ahead, they call it revenge travel. The urge to get away is strong, but experts say you might be better off to wait until the fall. Plus, I, I just had no choice uh, but to uh, go on living my life. 
slipping in for a cure. The diagnosis that makes this so-called brainiac embrace every moment on his bike. Air travel this summer has been a big headache for a lot of Canadian passengers who've had to deal with a flurry of delays, cancellations and issues with lost luggage. Many are wondering if fall is going to be any better in terms of pricing and disruptions and Global's Anne Gaviola spoke to the experts. Passengers traveling through Pearson International, Canada's busiest airport, have had to pack a lot of patience. Earlier this summer, it was the worst airport in the world for delays. This month, it dropped to fifth. We have been non-stop throughout the whole summer, which has been <laughs> very demanding, I must say, um, especially with uh, last-minute travel. Travel expert Leslie Cater says logistical issues, a lack of staffing and so-called revenge travel, people desperate to hop on a plane after staying put for most of the pandemic, all played a part. In Transport Canada's latest update, 86% of flights left the country's top four airports within an hour of their scheduled departure time in early August. That is up from 75% the first week of July, still shy of the 92% pre-pandemic. It's marginal progress. Demand typically drops in the fall as people return to school and work. Aviation analysts see an opportunity for people looking for deals thanks to the emergence of low-cost carriers like Lynx and Flair Airlines. So there's a lot more competition for your travel dollars in the fall than there would be in the summer. Uh, and that, that competition translates into lower fares. So you'll see a significant drop in terms of pricing uh, on Canadian routes. But deals may not be as easy to find for travel packages abroad, continuing the trend of higher prices this summer. Tour operators are dealing with inflated costs for just about everything. It's a combination of uh, hotels with uh, staffing they've had to put uh, maybe wages up. Of course, airline tickets have gone up as well. Until airports and airlines improve working conditions and adjust compensation, chronic staff shortages will continue to be the new normal. Buckle up for more travel chaos on the horizon. We're going to be in those situations where peak demand, whether it's summer, whether it's Christmas, whether it's Thanksgiving, whatever it is, Easter, uh, you know, it, you're all going to be stressing the airports and the airlines. And Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. A major cancer fundraiser hits the streets of the Fraser Valley this weekend. The Tour de Cure is the latest iteration of what used to be called the Ride to Conquer Cancer. Kylie Stanton has the story of one rider preparing for an epic challenge on the bike and in treatment. Kevin Kendall knows a thing or two about being taken on a ride where there's no choice but to get in and hold on. You know, I've dealt with highs and lows, happy Sad, anger, rage, it. For the better part of a decade, the 40-year-old has been battling a slow-growing brain tumor. So unpredictable, doctors were unable to give him a definitive prognosis. It could be a year, it could be 45 years. I, I just had no choice uh, but to uh, go on living my life and uh, making the best of it. The father of two has done just that, all while enduring several rounds of chemotherapy in an effort to keep the tumor from progressing. And when it took away his ability to drive, he found a new set of wheels. It's given me a sense of 
independence. I can hop on my bike and just ride as far as I want. But what was once an escape has become something to embrace. Now it's the number one event of the year. Ride! For the sixth year, Kendall will be riding in the Tour de Cure as part of Team Brainiacs, all survivors finding strength in numbers. It's um, an opportunity for them to realize they're not alone. Since 2009, the Brainiacs have raised a total of $3.5 million to support the BC Cancer Foundation, and they plan to add to that this time around, committing to a goal of $100,000. We're feeling a great deal of um, momentum and, and so much support from the donors uh, to support world-renowned research that's taking place here in the province. Kendall has seen just how far things have come firsthand, but like the ride he's on, there's still a long way to go. Brain cancer, cancer in general, is such a beast. Fundraising is uh, the number one goal. Dollars save lives. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Good luck to Kendall and the rest of the Brainiacs and everyone out on that ride this weekend. Coming up next, saving salmon habitat. 99.99% of the salmon go through that area why off-roaders just lost access to one of their favorite places. And in sports, O'Connor's confidence. The BC Lions' other Canadian quarterback picks up where injured Nathan Rourke left off. The BC SPCA has taken 99 budgies into safekeeping in West Kelowna. An animal protection investigation found a number of health and sanitation problems, so the owner agreed to surrender them all. The birds will need to be quarantined for 30 days due to avian flu risks, but they will be available for adoption after that. Now, biologists have been calling on the government to do something about it for over a year, an extremely sensitive fish habitat near Chilliwack being literally run over by off-roaders. The DFO has now finally listened to those pleas, but as Paul Johnson reports, not everyone is happy with his solution. Well, this is basically the Gill Road uh, Berlin Wall. It's to keep out uh, people that they don't want in there and destroying habitat. How about this for a sign of how seriously the government is about protecting wild salmon? Vroom, vroom. It's exciting, it's fun in a beautiful setting, but it was doing uh, ineffable damage. Fisheries scientist Marvin Rosenau is talking about this. Off-roaders having a blast at the Fraser River's Gill Bar near Chilliwack. He and his colleagues didn't have the intention of being killjoys, but the mud bogging and water crossing was happening right in the middle of the heart of the Fraser. One of the most sensitive habitats for salmon and other fish. This is an amazing piece of ecosystem. Fish, there's sturgeon, there's salmon rearing, spawning in the whole nine yards. For months, conservationists have been calling on someone to step in. And this summer, DFO finally lowered the boom in the form of a concrete barrier that prevents vehicle access to the area. Mike Fraser is the official in charge. That temporary closure is there to protect fish and fish habitat until we can come up with that longer term plan to help manage and protect the area. But as you can see from the state of their recently emplaced signage, the move isn't popular with everyone. The Four-Wheel Drive Association of BC is hoping through education that a workaround can be found 
and access can be restored. We believe that if we can minimize the activity to just designated water crossings, that that uh, the vast majority of this problem is, is eliminated. The closure comes in a summer that's brought more disappointing news about salmon. Test fisheries so far are predicting much diminished numbers for Fraser River sockeye, who many hoped would return in big enough numbers to allow both a commercial and a sport fishery. While the forces threatening salmon are complex, habitat destruction is one of them, and in this case, one of the more straightforward to fix. At Gill Bar, Paul Johnson, Global News. Tough. You can hardly blame them. It's, uh, it's a strong desire to get into the water these days, especially with the heat we've been having. Uh, can imagine more records set today. Christy, have you found any? Yeah, it looks like about 10, but these are just preliminary numbers. Chris, we still have to wait for Environment Canada to put out the official numbers. Yesterday, we broke 14. I thought I would just show you some of the top ones. Again, preliminary numbers, but Lillooet was the hot spot at 36.6 degrees. Uh, Lytton also breaking a record, Chilliwatt and Chetwin, and uh, there were a number of other ones. Uh, I expect that the uh, heat warning will drop overnight tonight for most areas, or at least tomorrow morning. We're going to see much more uh, uh, seasonal temperatures through Friday and into the weekend not to worry for all you warmth uh, lovers that there is more summer like weather on the way as we head into next week a bit of a surge once again so the dip happening over the weekend for those of you in the interior though tomorrow one more day near 30 but again this isn't heat warning criteria we had thousands of lightning strikes about a quarter of the fires uh, this season have been ignited in the last seven days all because of the lightning and the dry conditions we have a risk of thunderstorms again tomorrow afternoon and it includes the south coast certainly through the central interior and caribou region, but all of those areas highlighted in yellow. For our area, cloud and a slight chance of showers tomorrow morning, but a better chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon and evening. It is going to shift out on Saturday, but it will linger, the cloud cover that is, for a good part of the day. Although most of the day should be dry, we just would see a little sprinkler too. In the meantime, your Friday, uh, from the BC Peace River right through the central interior, that's where I'm expecting the majority of those thunderstorms, but still a risk across southern regions and that includes the lower mainland. It clears out as I mentioned though on Saturday although some fa a fair amount of cloud cover still expected Saturday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday all looking fine though Chris so lots of summer like weather on the way. All right tonight central windows weather window coming to you from the Shin territory. Naomi sending us this. Thank you so much. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And uh, she said that there was a humpback whale off in the distance there. Great shot. Thanks so oh, much. Oh, yeah. You can just see the tail. I picked that up late when you mentioned it. Very cool. And uh, mm -hmm. thanks, Christy. Thanks, Naomi, for sending that in. And thanks, Squire, for showing up on time, which he always does. <laughs> he always does well, show, show up on time. I want to give you props for that. But sometimes it's just in the nick of time. Well, if you want to give me props, why did you thank me for showing up on time? <laughs> well, because you deserve it. I, I, I appreciate the, uh, the shout out, though. Yeah, sometimes it's, uh, it is close. Uh, one guy who knows what Lions quarterback Michael O'Connor can do is his old university coach from UBC, Blake Nill. What people are going to see is a very composed young man who is capable of this role with the Lions. And of course, he led Nils' UBC team to a national championship back in 2015, and he'll start tomorrow, as we all know, against Saskatchewan. All right, wishing him good luck in that game. Also coming up, Sean's gift, a grieving mom's shopping spree 
to bring joy to kids with cancer. Squires here with sports. Bench depth is important in professional sports. Well, you want your backup quarterback to be able to be a starter when necessary. Yep. Now, not to knock Michael O'Connor, we wanted to see Nathan Rourke finish off this season and see what he could do, but Michael O'Connor is now the Lions starting quarterback. Likely for the rest of this season, unless there's a medical miracle we don't know about, he will be the guy tomorrow when BC hosts Saskatchewan at BC Play Stadium. And even though he's actually never started a CFL game, despite the Lions being his third CFL team, He's looked all week like someone who is not freaked out by the task of having to take over for Nathan Rourke, who's been so great in the middle of what for the Lions has been a great season so far. <laughs> Michael O'Connor is about as chill as it gets on a football field. This is the look of a guy who's about to make his first CFL start and get the keys to the most explosive offense in the league. It's a pretty big deal, but you'd never know it, which according to those around him, is just like Mike. He didn't change at all once he uh, became the starting quarterback this week, which to me always is a good sign is that they're not changing their personality or trying to be something that they're not. So like I said, he's done a great job of preparing and getting himself ready to go, and I look forward to seeing him play. Yeah, he's definitely going to um, surprise some of the people outside, but inside, I mean, we know what he can do. We know he's a great quarterback. He's been um, here with Nathan, you know, game planning, you know, them guys, you know, they be working out with each other, you know, they be focused in on each other. So, you know, they got, they got the same traits, and that's the making of a great quarterback. So he's going to do good. O'Connor's excited too, but in his own low-key way. You know, I've been waiting for this moment a long time. A little bit of nerves, but after the first couple of snaps, you know, it's just another football game. You know, that's kind of how it was in the Vanier Cup, you know, uh, in 15. Just a little nervous, but once the game comes, you know, it's just football. Yes, O'Connor has played in the big game and won the big game. While at UBC, he led the Thunderbirds to the 2015 Vanier Cup National Championship. And even though he hasn't played a whole lot in the CFL over his three seasons, this moment is not too big for him, according to his UBC head coach, Blake Nill. I'll tell you from experience, he doesn't get rattled because I've been in his face for, you know, three or four years at times. And uh, he was always, always, you know, very focused young man. I think he'll go out there like he's done it for 10 years. That's the feeling you get from the rest of the Lions, too. They have confidence that O'Connor can do the job, which can only help him do the job. I told the guys, like, I'm going to let it fly. You know, our receiving core, they're amazing, you know. So I'm, I'm letting them know, hey, I'm just a point guard out there looking to get you the ball. And the O-line's been incredible, too, so that gives me a lot of confidence, too. I'm bringing the entire program to the game tomorrow so they can see a young man who just played for us three or four years ago at this level and, and I think it'll be a great showcase for both UBC and the BC Lions. All right, let's see how Winnipeg and Calgary are doing tonight. Winnipeg, of course, best record in the CFL, although they've played a game more than BC. Look at this. Oh, what a catch. Greg McRae. That was a penalty. Doesn't matter. It's a touchdown for Winnipeg. But the Stampeders, they got something up their sleeve as well. Jake Meyer, 61-yard touchdown pass to Malik Henry, who has two touchdown catches in this half. And Calgary leads by one at the break. All right, the World Women's Hockey Championships began today in Denmark. Marie-Philippe Poulin, the Canadian captain, sets up Sarah Nurse. 
who of course is on the cover of the EA NHL 23 game with Trevor Zegras. So that made it 1-0 in the first, and then Philippe Poulin scores a goal of her own, and Canada beats Finland 4-1. Saturday, Canada will take on the Swiss. Canadian Women's Open. Does that not tip you off? It's in Canada. How about Nellie Corda wearing a Blackhawks jersey? Because her boyfriend, Andreas Athanasiu, plays for the Blackhawks. This is 12-year-old Lucy Lynn of Vancouver. Youngest player ever to qualify for the Canadian Open. Qualified on Monday, shot a three over par today. That's still pretty good. Uh, Maddie Zurich. She's also Canadian. She's five off the lead. Paula Rito of uh, South Africa has the lead after shooting 62 today. So... Zurich is four under par. How about Megan Oslin of Kelowna? Check this out. In the sand. No need for the putter. She fired an even par today. Brooke Henderson was a later starter. She is two under after 18. And uh, Emma Talley was the leader for a while. She's now three off at minus six. But one of the reasons she's at minus six is right here on the 13th hole. And ace. Round two is tomorrow. Novak Djokovic is not going to be playing in the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament because he's not vaccinated and therefore can't get into the U.S. Remember, he couldn't play the Australian Open because he wasn't vaccinated against COVID. He was able to play the French and Wimbledon, which, of course, he won. There you go. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. We'll take a break. And a heartwarming gift for children touched by cancer will be next on the News Hour. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. Keeping it fresh for late, Jordan Armstrong <laughs> is standing by with a preview of what's coming up tonight on Global News at 11. Jordan? Lots going on. The night is still young, Chris. The former top doctor at Interior Health is now facing additional child sex crime charges out of Grand Prairie, Alberta. Global News has learned that on Tuesday, Dr. Albert de Villiers was hit with a list of new charges, including invitation to sexual touching and voyeurism. The charges relate to incidents alleged to have taken place between January of 2017 and December of 2019. Plus, a Chilliwack family searching for answers tonight as they wait to hear if charges will be brought forward against the driver they claim hit and killed their daughter earlier this month. These stories are more at 11. Chris. All right, Jordan. Thank you. Now, Tina Richardson lost her seven-year-old son to leukemia, but she continues her remarkable commitment to other ill children. She collects donated toys for the oncology department at BC Children's Hospital in honor of Sean. And as Jay Durant shows us on This Is BC, Tina spends what would have been Sean's birthday delivering the toys. Summer is very busy for Tina Richardson. A lot of time spent going up and down the toy aisles. The other customers were watching me and they're, oh my gosh, there's gonna be no toys left. For the past seven years, Sean's gift of sharing has generated over 10,000 brand new toys for kids in the oncology department at BC Children's Hospital. It's the legacy of Tina's son, Sean Thomas, who lost his battle with cancer. Every bereaved parent, their biggest fear is people forgetting their child, forgetting who they were. Sean spent what would be his last birthday in hospital. He was overwhelmed with all the gifts he received. And he goes, Mommy, look at all these toys, but it's too much. He goes, I want to share them with my friends. So I said, sure, honey, what would you like to do? Well, I want to go in and deliver them to, to my friends in the hospital. I said, okay. I'm so cool. Lego was his absolute favorite. Oh, my. Just a week before he passed away at the age of seven, a couple of very generous donors gifted Sean with an all-expenses-paid trip to Legoland. 
never really stopped smiling. He never stopped smiling. It was the happiest time of his life. Every September 24th on Sean's birthday, the toys are delivered to the hospital. Parents send me pictures of children holding up these toys. Um, they're overjoyed. They will get a Lego set. In memory of the boy with the huge heart and unbreakable spirit who made his friends and fellow cancer warriors smile by sharing all his toys on his seventh birthday. Usually after we do the big toy donation, we go to his grave and um, it's his birthday, so I get a little Lego birthday cake um, and place it on a gravesite as well. Happy birthday, kiddo. We did this for you again. Um, we love you and um, we're going to keep your memory alive by doing this for a long, long time. Jay Durant, Global News. Beautiful young boy. Uh, and also was a big part in some of the Miracle Weekend telethons we did too. So he continues to give and will never be forgotten. How's that train? Can we, can we throw to you now or no? Is it still very loud, Christy? <laughs> no. No, no, we're good. We're good okay. now. It's gone. I mean, it's not gone, but the horn part is gone. <laughs> we have a risk of thunderstorms here across Metro Vancouver. Tomorrow's going to be a much different day with cloud and showers across the region and cooler conditions. Not to worry, though. We still have more summer on the way. Over the weekend, we'll be back to sunshine. All right. Glad to hear it. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. We'll see you back here tomorrow.